seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report. Here on Monday, February 25th from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast which you can find by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, really wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at londonbridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437, or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same, and we'll play what you have to say on air again by calling 929-274-3437. This week, should Zion play or should he go? Machado finally signs and Harper is right behind him. The lights are just about out in L.A. and more. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that was a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? We don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week of athletics. Two weeks of athletics, really, as we had one week off. Plenty to catch up on. We finally have some action in Major League Baseball, aside from spring training kicking off. Action in the NBA, as we wouldn't have it any other way. Our favorite basketball player on our favorite team. Half of that's correct, with some thoughts. But... Since our your alma mater and my favorite basketball team played on Saturday in Syracuse and Duke in the biggest attended game in Carrier Dome history, mind you, the big news story regarding college basketball this past week has been Zion Williamson. While he has been the big news story for most of the college basketball season, this one was a little bit different. He gets hurt in the UNC game because he broke through his shoe, which caused his knee to buckle. And people are wondering whether or not it's even worth his time coming back to play for Duke this season if he is able to. Figured we can start there, get into the game a little bit, but that's been the big story. Zion Williamson, should he stay or should he go? Well, Johnny, great to be back with you again. And uh, missed everybody last week. And I think the answer to that is pretty much uh, much different than most people, commentators, experts, uh, fans, etc., uh, thought it was going to be. The, the biggest controversy has been amongst all of us. Uh, in watching and in listening, it seems like it's pretty obvious based upon uh, Coach K and you know, the way we see the player on the bench that the Zion, the Lion, is going to be back very quickly. Uh, They are not even discussing it. Uh, Whereas everywhere you looked, the opinions were flowing as to whether or not uh, Coach K should not let him play. Uh, The kid should simply say, I'm done. Uh, Either way you want to broach it, 
bottom line being, why should he risk injury, considering the fact that in all probability he's going to be the first pick in the draft? What does he have to gain? Well, it doesn't even look like it's going to be an issue uh, at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Uh, from everything I see, outside looking in, it looks to me like they're treating like any other college player uh, who is incredibly important to his team, suffering from uh, not a catastrophic injury, uh, thankfully, uh, a minor injury, uh, which is not nearly as bad as it looked originally or we thought it was going to be or could have been and will be back you know, very shortly, potentially, uh, in their next game against Virginia Tech. I think this has been uh, vastly blown out of proportion as a result of the controversy over one and done. Uh, a lot of what we saw in bowl games with a lot of NCAA football players not participating in their team's bowl games because uh, they didn't want to risk injury. It doesn't seem to me as though it's even an issue at Duke as to whether or not he is going to play the remainder of the season. Thankfully, that's kind of been put to bed. Coach Gay has done a good job of nullifying that point, at least when asked, are you going to sit Zion? Does he want to sit Seems like he wants to play, and that's not surprising at all. I think with this example, everything doesn't have to be about everything, if that makes sense. Him getting injured doesn't necessarily need to provoke the people to stand aboard their soapboxes and scream about the one-and-done rule and scream that he should sit out. Every instance of this happening doesn't have to check off all those boxes. Do I think that high school athletes should have the opportunity to forego the NBA draft or go to the NBA draft and forego college, I should say. Absolutely. And I think that the NBA now, of course, the timing was perfect. After this injury, the next day they say, we're in talks of making the one and done rule go away, which we knew was coming. We just didn't know when. This was something that broke in the fall that they were going to be looking into this rule. So that's not shocking. It was just, of course... Perfect timing, dealing with Zion Williamson, the most polarizing player in college basketball. I think they should have the option. I don't think it should be held against him for him to want to come back to play college basketball, to play in the NCAA tournament, to get that experience under his belt, regardless of if he needs it for the NBA or not, regardless if it'll help his draft status or not. Because you could also make the argument for most of the rest of the Duke team, right? Why aren't we screaming for R.J. Barrett to not play? Why aren't Why we screaming? Right. Why aren't we screaming for Cam play? Reddish to not play? Why aren't we Why screaming not? for Trey Jones to not, not play? And, the whole and, team and could sit out if that's the case. The, the, the fascinating aspect of it to me is whether it's Jay Bellis uh, or whomever you want to listen to who has got a lot of opinions and whether you agree with them or disagree with them, people who are vastly intertwined uh, in, in the sport, the ones who seem to complain the least about it or talk the least about it are the players. I never hear the kids bitch. I never hear them say, I don't want to play. I never hear anybody say, you know, well, where's my money? I never heard any one of these kids say, I shouldn't have to be doing this. I should be able to go directly. But where are they? Uh, you know, where is the player 
standing up, waving his hand, saying, I'm taking advantage. And yet all I ever hear is, oh, these poor players. Why aren't they getting to share the money? Why aren't they getting paid? Kid makes the half-court shot on game day, gets $19,000. The Kentucky players run out to congratulate him. And as Jay Bill said, they're not getting a dime. But they're not bitching about not getting a dime. It seems to me that everybody who's complaining about them being victims are not victims at all. They're just people who think that the kids are being taken advantage of uh, because they're not getting a cut of the pie. They're not getting a portion of the almighty buck that the NCAA is raking in each year from CBS for this grand event. Now, the question is, do you think that amateurism still exists? If it does not, so be it. They are getting something for playing basketball or playing football or playing baseball. They're getting a free college education. They're getting room and board. They're getting meals. They're getting, at least at the highest level, uh, the best training you could possibly get. The best coaching you should po- you could possibly get. The best diet, dietary guidance, etc. Weight training, physical conditioning, you can possibly get. Because there's so much money involved in these programs that they make an investment in these kids. Well, they make it sound like the schools take, 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 take. Maybe the NCAA take, 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 take. But the schools give a great deal to the player. Am I old school? Yes, I am. That's part of this program. New report, old report. I am the old school guy who says, I think the kids get plenty. And I am also of the belief that as long as you have Title IX, I don't know how you're going to be able to get them anything other than what they have already without violating Title IX. I don't see how it can happen. I'm fine with the way the system works right now, except for the fact we need to go back to the ability of these kids to go directly from high school to the NBA, not just to Europe or not to the G League, but to the NBA if they're good enough. But if they're not good enough, and they want to go to school, I am fully behind either a two- or three-year commitment to whatever school you go to. It needs to be more like college baseball, where if you're going to make the commitment to the school, you stay if you want to play. You don't get to just go for a semester and bolt. You're going to make a commitment to them. They make a commitment to you. You stay and you play and you go to school. You get better. You help your school. You help yourself. And you don't be one of those guys who goes to school for one semester. It's a first or second round draft pick. Leave too early and we never hear from you again. I think that is the best way to go. Whether or not that happens remains to be seen. Right. And obviously changing rules is a little above our pay grade. But I'm in agreement with you as well that if you're in high school and you're good enough, make the leap. 
if you have the right people behind you that know what's going on, and that's going to be the hard part too, is you're going to have a lot of people in your ear saying, yeah, do it, do it, because they just want the money aspect. They don't care about the longevity of the person's career. As you mentioned, there's been a lot of, we don't hear about it enough, but there's a lot of this guy declares for the draft, that guy declares for the draft, and then you don't hear from them again. And a couple of years later, it's like, what happened to him? Oh, he's with the G League, or he's playing overseas, or he's out of basketball completely. It's, well, maybe if he stayed another year or two, who knows what would have happened. Personally, I wouldn't mind going toward that baseball route and making it a two-year commitment. Maybe not go three, put it at two. So you're at least, educational-wise, getting an associate's degree, you're at least basketball-wise getting two years under your belt of tutelage. You're at least, for the sport-wise, giving us more of a storyline. As a Duke fan, it's been a little difficult, and I mean, poor us, but as a Duke fan, year in and year out with these one-and-dones, it's hard to get invested in the team when you know that the star players will be gone at season's end. There's that feeling when the tournament's over and you didn't win, the feeling is a lot more different than you saying, well, there's always next year, or well, this team's going to be great in two years, like it is for some programs, or like it was for Duke 10 years ago or so. This year has been refreshing in that we know that R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson, and you could even go as far as Cam Reddish and Trey Jones, they didn't have to come to college. They didn't have to go to Duke. They don't have to be doing this, but the passion that they play with every play, how celebratory they get after let's not, made uh, let's, 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 let's calm down. It's exciting because you don't you don't see that with the celebratory. Well, you you've every seen it play. before. They're right? a college basketball team. You've seen all it right, before. They're not the second coming. No, I all just right, mean know, earlier in the earlier in the year. All I heard earlier in the year it started. They beat the Hawks. You know, my son's friends, you know, and, and, and sports talk radio. They're, they could beat an NBA team. You know, the, the Alabama football routine. Okay, Alabama didn't even win the national title. Right? They couldn't even beat Syracuse at home in overtime, and they couldn't beat Gonzaga. They're not beating an NBA team. Right? They're not the Fab Five. So let's back up. All I right. agree with you. My they're point the is... Kentucky, they're not the Kentucky group. No, they're not so the best team up. in the world. Right. I'm they're just saying... They're not undefeated. They're a really good team. I'm just saying, as players, they're excited. They get excited to play basketball for Duke. They wouldn't be nearly as exciting if it wasn't for one guy. The excitement is all about Zion the line. Sure. It's as simple as that. Trey Jones is okay. He's nothing special. He can't hit the broadside of a barn. He's a good defender. Cam Reddish is a streaky shooter who looks like he's got a good NBA game. And the lefty is an intermediate scorer, which is few and far between, who's got size and plays a very controlled, smooth game. And then you have the monster. Then you have the elephant in the room. You have the guy who is the freak. You have the guy who put on 100 pounds in between, what, his sophomore and junior year? Right. Or his junior and senior year of high school? Who is too big. He's too big. His a body, the, 
the tendons are not built to take that kind of force. He needs to drop pounds. He needs to be 250. There's no way he's going to play in the NBA 80 games a year at 280 without ripping something. He's got to get smaller. He can't carry 280 pounds at six foot seven. Are they a fun team? Absolutely. Are they a very good team? For sure. Are they loaded with talent? You got it. But the one, three, and four players in the country, I, I don't buy it. I don't think Cam Reddish is that great. I certainly don't think Trey Jones is that great. The other two guys are hot shots. They'll be top five picks. I'll be shocked if Cam Reddish is a top five pick. And I don't even see Trey Jones as a first-round pick. But that's just me outside looking in. So I think the caliber of this fearsome foursome is a little bit overrated. Just a touch. And that's all because of one guy. Zion the Lion is the one who makes it all over the top because he is so outrageous. He is so unusual. He is so earth-shattering with the things that he does that are off the charts. They're seismic in terms of the way he plays the game. And that's what makes them must-watch. Right. And that passion that you mentioned is what I find refreshing about this year's team because there have been years of Duke and there's been years in the NCAA in general when Ben Simmons was playing with LSU and there was no chance he was getting to the tournament. He was waiting for his first plane ticket out of there to get to the NBA. There's not as much excitement. There's not as much passion in some of the players because as they should, in some respects, view college, view their time there as, Hey, I'm putting in my time. This isn't it for me. I just want to get to the league. And that's completely understandable. But to see Zion get a fourth foul and lumber over to the bench and plop down pissed off and hate the fact that he can't play. And we're seeing that with other teams, too. I'm not just singling out Duke. You always see it with mostly. You see it with Kentucky. You're seeing it with programs now where these guys that you have a great feeling are going to be one and dones love playing basketball. And I think that's the overall thing that people miss. Yes, you, the dollar you, signs you are great, but they love you playing don't basketball. See, you don't see the dollar sign players going anywhere. If they're not playing at the NCAA level with passion, they're not going anywhere at the NCAA level. And Ben Simmons is a perfect example. He led LSU nowhere. Zero. If you don't play with passion, you're not going to win. You can't lead without it. And you certainly can't win without it. So the theme for us is he can come back and play. <laughs> Looking forward to his right now for well, me. He's going to come back and play for me. I think I they mean, can wait it, until it, there's, it, it seems to me like it's almost a closed subject. Yeah. The ones making all the noise about it are the commentators and you know, the people who think that it is ridiculous for a, a player of his caliber and with his future at the NBA level by playing anymore at the, uh, at the college level. And I think that is foolish just because the guy, uh, 
flips in a, in a one of the goofiest things you're ever going to see because probably a, the fact that he is such a forceful player. Uh, the instant response from us as a nation is that we must rush to judgment and say he absolutely positively can't play, shouldn't play, coach shouldn't let him play, Duke shouldn't let him play. What's best for the player? What's always best for the player is very simple. If you're healthy, play. That's how you get better. That's what you do. Coaches coach, players play. Which leads into whether or not we think that the coach of my team, after a tragic accident Wednesday night, after a win over Louisville at home, in which a 51-year-old man uh, from Syracuse was killed when Jim Beheim swerved to avoid the accident that that individual had been in and instead of being in the car was out of the car when Jim Beheim went to avoid the accident hit the man who was on the side of the road and killed him should Jim Beheim have come back and coached only three nights later in that Duke game which he did coach it. I didn't have a problem with it. I'm not exactly sure like how long a timetable would be for him to not coach again where it would make it okay. As he mentioned after the game, this isn't going to go away with him the next game, the next week, the next month, the next year. This is something he's going to live with the rest of his life. And obviously the victim's family will live with the rest of their lives. And as he mentioned, as he should, that's more prominent and more pressing than him living with it. I wasn't exactly sure what sitting out was going to do for a game for the rest of the season. I'm not sure what to do in a situation like this. This is not really something that we deal with as sports fans or in athletics where this is an instance where it's an accidental thing. It wasn't done on purpose. There wasn't police reports filed. It wasn't like a member of his family had passed away and obviously he would be with them throughout it and maybe skip a game or two. It was a unique circumstance and Part of me was was okay with him coming back just because of the way he addressed it, the way the team addressed it. I didn't think that ESPN had to go as far as to take away college game day from being there live in the afternoon. They decided to remain in studio and not do the typical college game day routine that they do. I, I thought that kind of took away from the kids that were going to be there, the students, the atmosphere. It, it was a great atmosphere for the game, but it would have added something because game day doesn't go to Syracuse. That was interesting. I get why they did it, but I think everybody addressed it in the right way to where as long as that kept going, you could have kind of just did things as they were expected to happen. I don't remember uh, in my you know 112 years of uh, following sports, anything quite like it. Um, you know, you have decisions to play when you've lost somebody uh, or coach when you've lost somebody or something's happened to a player. Um, something's happened to a family member uh, of the, a coach or a player. But I, I don't remember ever in all my years of watching sports where something like this happened, where, in this instance, a coach 
killed someone in an accident. And then so shortly thereafter had to coach if he wanted to coach. And uh, not because it's my school. Uh, I thought it was handled uh, about as well as it could have been handled. I don't know what I would have done uh, in the circumstance because obviously I've never been in that circumstance. From the outside looking in, if I had been, except for the fact that it was an act completely blameless, which it looks like so far there is, isn't an iota of him doing anything wrong other than trying to avoid the accident. I, I again, you, you can't walk in anybody's shoes, but I would probably, uh, I, I think I would do the same thing. I think I would coach, um, because that's what you do. You don't want to go to work the next day? Uh, probably not. But then again, neither did he. Um, you know, you go to practice on Thursday. Uh, but I would probably get right back on the horse and go back to work. Because that's the way I am. Um, try and get some notion of normalcy. Was I disappointed that there was no game day? Of course. You, know, you always look forward to game day for your school. It's cool. The crew is there. It's a riot. Everybody's having fun, but I thought that was clearly the right thing to do uh, because of the gravity of the situation, how shortly uh, before game day it had happened, and the uh, issue having just been decided that he was, in fact, going to coach. Uh, I thought that was the right thing to do. Uh, again, it was very disappointing, but uh, I, I really think that was the right thing to do in, in, in canceling game day. And the way the way everyone went about it, as you mentioned, I don't know if they could have done more. I thought they did more than enough. I think it was important for ESPN to address it right out of the gate as soon as they had opportunities to for whether it was the early morning game day, the game itself, at the end of the game, as many times as they could have brought up condolences to the family, the situation, how everyone was feeling, what Coach Bayheim had to say about it. Very important to just get that out, out in the open, and I thought he did a great job after the game addressing it as well, and before the game previous to that, releasing statements. Which you, know you isn't always his, which you know isn't always his strong point. Right. He right. has had a lot of issues with the press, and some of the things he said and done have been you know, heavily criticized, whether it's the Bernie Fine issue uh, you know, a, a few years back where he came to the defense of his longtime assistant. No charges, by the way, were ever filed. Um, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, uh, he has been outspoken uh, and at times has been heavily criticized by the press. Here, uh, it was, for lack of a better term, this was a kinder, gentler uh, Jim Beheim, because uh, I think the simple fact that, uh, you know, he was involved in someone losing their life. And even though it was an accident, uh, you, you still have to hold yourself somewhat responsible. How do you explain it to somebody? You, you really can't. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. We'll switch gears. 
to baseball and some final news on two of the biggest free agents in the sport. One moving somewhere and the other seemingly a step in the door. The first, Manny Machado signing with the San Diego Padres for his 10 and 300. Were you shocked by this? Did it move the needle for you? For me, it was kind of like, cool, you know? <laughs> San Diego I, hasn't I, been good for me <laughs> or on my radar since 1998. And I don't think this really changed much of it. I think this will work for him and the fact that he can just play baseball. There's not going to be any sp spotlights. It'll be like it was in Baltimore. He'll be their guy, and he doesn't need to be in the spotlight doing it. Uh, all along, I thought he was going to the Yankees. Uh, obviously, as we got further and further along, that became less and less of a possibility because uh, that was his number one choice and always has been. I thought this was a huge win for every aspect of the sport. I thought it was a huge win for the player getting 10 and 300 uh, with an opt-out after five years. I thought it was a huge win for the franchise uh, getting uh, a terrific player to anchor the middle of their lineup and to play third base uh, with a top prospect waiting in the wings in Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, who was earmarked for shortstop. I thought it was a terrific fit uh, to go on the other corner uh, along with Eric Cosmer, who I think will have an even better year this year after a mediocre year last year at best. And I thought it was uh, terrific for the sport overall to see a franchise that you have to consider. Diego um, is a big city, but it's still not a huge market. Uh, it's not a major market. So a team with a payroll that had less than $100 million now is over $100 million because of one player. Uh, it puts to rest the notion of, you know, free agency being dead uh, because Bryce Harper is going to get his money any minute. And it, it's just a, a different approach that owners are taking in terms of analyzing the value of players and players and their agents have got to get used to it. It's as simple as that. But in terms of the, the spot, I don't understand how it's not a great decision. It's San Diego. It's 75 to 80 degrees every day. It's the greatest, greatest climate in the entire country. He's been toiling in the American League East for a, a franchise that set an all-time record since they've been in Baltimore in terms of losses last year. Trapped in the American League East with the Yankees, with the Red Sox. You can even say Tampa, who won 90 games last year. The weather sucks. Wherever you're listening, all right, if you're anywhere within the sound of my voice in the Northeast, the weather sucks and it's getting worse. Playing baseball in the Northeast blows. All right. You have two good months. April and May stink. All right. June is okay. July and August are nice. And then it starts to suck again. This guy goes to San Diego. He's going to play 81 of his games at Petco Park 
in one of the greatest climates in the world. And then he's going to pay most of his road games in either Chavez Ravine, one of the great hitters park on the planet, Colorado. Ooh, it gets a little chilly in San Francisco. Sorry. Okay. And, and not a great hitters park, but in San Francisco. All right. And oh, another great hitters park, you know, in Arizona. And then he's going to go on the road like everybody else does a couple of times a year. It's just an absolutely tremendous decision on his part. And they have got a tremendous, just unbelievable farm system in place. Uh, once they finally got this franchise moving in the right direction, uh, where they jettisoned the high price players. And as a result, they are armed and dangerous for years to come. So I thought this was a great decision by the player. I thought it was a great decision for the team. And I thought it was a great overall result for the sport. I agree with you for the player, as you mentioned. I mean, San Diego. Not much better you can do in that aspect. The money, as perfect as you can get for it. As a baseball fan, eh. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. Eh. I, I think it'll be maybe we'll have him under the microscope for the first season and then he'll kind of get forgotten about in San Diego. But we'll see. Because as you mentioned, they do have a lot of young talent and could make some noise in the blink of an eye in a couple of years. Who knows? That also brings us to the East, as you mentioned. Awful weather. <laughs> some of the most awful fans in the sport. If you're a Fairweather baseball fan, you don't really need to have to argue that. You could find terrible fans in one of the teams. Looks like Bryce Harper is thinking about, foot in the door about, the Philadelphia Phillies. What does that mean to the Phillies, to Bryce Harper, if this should end up actually happening? Well, let's take it from the Bryce Harper point of view first. <clears throat> it means you're playing in a bandbox where you are going to hit a boatload of home runs, even if you don't hit for a high average, which he did not last year, because uh, that is you know, rivaling the Great American Small Park, Camden Yards, uh, whichever way I look at it, as a, a perfect park for any home run hitter to any field. That's item one. Item two, it means uh, he is going to get booed heavily uh, eight to nine times a year uh, when he heads back to play uh, his beloved Nationals because uh, obviously they're going to go on the road and they're going to go down there and play whoever has the only of, of 18, 19 games, eight or nine on the road, uh, which has always surprised me that he would make the, the Philadelphia decision uh, because that would be the end result. He loves Washington. He loves playing there. He loves the fans. The fans love him. And he's going to give that up. And it's going to be, you know, a, a dose of reality when he goes back there if it's in a Philly uniform. I really wonder how much of this is, you know, the Scott Boris ego uh, of saying, you know, wait, trust me, we can do better. You know, when Washington offered the 10 years and the 300 I don't know if the Washington deal had an opt-out or if it was a straight 10 and 300. Nobody's going to take a 10-year deal without an opt-out. But you really wonder how much control 
Scott Boris has over the player in terms of holding back, waiting, 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 you know, to get the record-setting deal. You know, now that Manny's off the board, you know Boris can't possibly allow his player to sign for anything less than at least a dollar more. You know, it's got to now be 10 and 320 because uh, it's got to be more than Manny for him to save face. And from a fan stand-up point of view, it's frustrating with it going this long. But then again, remember, J.D. Martinez signed last year on February 27th. Uh, which we're approaching. So this is the new order. You know, we heard 400 million. We knew that wasn't going to happen. But this is the new world order of free agency. Wait, 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 wait. There aren't nearly as many teams out there as there used to be. Uh, My theory is quite simply because, uh, one, they're not going to reward players for past accomplishment. Uh, with long-term deals because they are too old at the end of those long-term deals, you know, see the great Albert Pujols. But these two players are in their prime at 26, so they're exceptions to the rule. But we don't have the owners that we used to have. We have one left, but we don't have George Steinbrenner. We don't have Mr. Illich. All we really have left is Mr. Lerner. Uh, Who are the owners who will say, I don't care what it costs, get me the player. I don't care about the back end of the contract. Get me the player. I don't care the price I have to pay. Get me the player. And Mr. Lerner is really probably the only one left. Uh, you've got this new world order of owners who turn over to their young general managers, the bean counters, uh, the ones that uh, you know, analysis by paralysis, paralysis by analysis, if you really want to look at it, with everything being based upon the numbers, everything being based upon the analytics. Uh, as a result, you know, we have a lot of fine players out there who are unsigned or signed minor league contracts because they're not going to be given long-term deals or multi-year deals at their age. And uh, as a result, the bidders for these players are few and far between because of the luxury tax that they don't want to pay. Uh, you know, perfect example. The discussion today, you know, if for someone to go out and for, for the Red Sox to go out and sign Craig Kimbrell to a one-year deal, it would cost them $35 million uh, for a one-year $20 million deal. Pay them $20 million and pay $15 million in a luxury tax. They're not going to do that. They're, they're not going to spend $35 million on one, on one year for Craig Kimbrell to, one, pay him, and two, pay for going over the threshold. Uh, teams are conscious of that. They didn't used to care. Now they do. I would say what would disappoint me about it is being a little bit of like a, a fan player purist sometimes in that I don't think the deal that Philly is going to eventually sign Bryce Harper with is going to knock the deal away that the Nationals were willing to provide when they gave him the possibility of an extension for the 10 years. And as we mentioned, we don't know what the opt-out was, if there was one, but those numbers were the same, the 10 and the 300, and he turned it down. Well, he's probably going to get that, and as you mentioned, a couple more pennies, because he has to, God forbid, to be ahead of Manny Machado. 
I'm guessing maybe the opt-out was different. But if that's the case, I mean, it would have been a cool story if he stayed with the Nationals and said, all right, I'm the franchise guy now. I'm going to be the face of the, the face of the franchise. I'm not counting them out. I'm not either. Because the GM in the, in the, you know, in the, in the dark of night, sometimes he likes to make things happen. I was surprised that he said they had not heard from Scott Boris in like two or three months. I don't believe anything. I don't, I don't, I, by ownership, especially by sons, right? Who are running it and still at the uh, at, at, at the at the foot of the fathers, right? Who still are the overall bosses? I never believe anything I hear when it comes to they're out, they're in, we're out. I, I mean, even Larry Jr. said, you know, we're out, we're done. Then at the end of that, he said, there's there's still a crack. There's still a crack. Well, why do you say there's a crack in the door? Right, exactly. We're out, but then there's still a crack in the door. It's you know, if you're out, you're yeah. out. But then there's still a crack in the door. You know, Boris has the long-standing relationship with Mr. Lerner. Uh, a bunch of his players are there. I I just think it's still the best fit for him uh, because they can have an outfield, literally, potentially, for the ages with the two young outfielders that they have in place to go with him who will make no money in the next three or four years. Right. Um, and he had only 26 with Victor Robles and Soto as a triumvirate could be, could be an outfield for the ages. Uh, that remains to be seen impact on Philly. Look, Philly has had a terrific offseason, uh, a slow start, but then lo and behold, uh, they make the trade for Gene Segura, who I think is a terrific player, uh, to go in and play shortstop. They bring over McCutcheon, who's a little long in the tooth and seen his better years. But in a park like that, again, a hitter's park, 81 games there, uh, can have uh, an impact both on the field and in the clubhouse. Senior citizen, so to speak, team leader. I think an excellent fit because that team needs all the help it can get in terms of leadership. Because I don't know what Gabe Kapler brings on that front. He's a goof. All right, and, and if muscles, anybody could manage his, muscles, if if anybody could manage this crew into the ground, you know, it's muscles. All right, because he is <laughs> he's just a he's just a dope. Got no idea what he's doing managing managing a team. Plain and simple. Uh, showed that last year, um, and. They've got the good young pitching. Um, the question is, is, is this what they do? Uh, and if not, do they go out and do they get Craig Kimball? Or do they bring in Dallas Keuchel um, with the money that they don't use on Bryce Harper? Uh, either way, that will finish off a terrific offseason for them. Because they have filled a lot of voids, um, you know, both offensively and defensively. And, you know, obviously they're the team that finally made the deal, uh, for the second coming of Johnny Bench, if you listen to all these people, which is ridiculous. I mean, Real Muto's a nice young player, but goodness gracious, they've made it sound like he's already the most phenomenal catcher ever to come down the pike. Uh, he's a nice player. 
He didn't hit 35 home runs last year. He didn't drive 130 runs. All right. He didn't hit 320. All right. Uh, he's an athletic catcher who is in his prime, who they've got for two years. They gave up a lot, but they've got him for two years. And now he should be a, an excellent fit in their lineup. And I would think would play with a real, even more of a sense of urgency because, you know, he's in a situation where he's got a chance to win, which he has not had uh, for really his entire career. So I expect the player to take off. But then again, that remains to be seen. So they've already had a nice offseason. Uh, this will clearly be uh, the cherry on the Sunday. And if they don't get him, like I said, I, I, I think that they'll probably go out and uh, and bring in Dallas Keuchel because they do need pitching, starting pitching specifically. Uh, they do need bullpen help, and, and Kimball is still out there. So I, I think they are far from done on either of these avenues, or with either of these avenues. And I know it's the money that mostly talks in this situation, but, I mean, Bryce can hit. 180 in the first half of a season and still get a standing ovation when he comes to the dish in Washington. If you're hitting 180 in Philly, <laughs> you better watch yourself, sir. You better watch yourself. They're not going to allow that to happen for too long before you're getting booed off the field. The only I don't guy think that'll matter gonna, to him. The, but, the only hey. guy who's never going to get booed in Philly is Nick Foles. That's right. It's as simple as that. That's right. Okay. Plain and simple. St. Nick is the only one that's not going to get booed. They booed Ryan Howard. They'll boo anyone. So That's exactly right. They'll have, to, they'll have to watch. I don't think he'll care, but hey, I'm just letting you know. 180 in the first half isn't going to get it done like it will with the Nationals because people are coming just to watch Bryce Harper play. As they not, at, not, at, not at 30 plus mil, my no. friend. Uh-uh. No. Not that time. There's also that aspect. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Couple minutes to get into quickly what's happened with our Los Angeles Lakers. The what hasn't right? happened? That's a good point. We're running out of things that haven't happened. Is 100 percent correct. The All Star Game happens. Team LeBron wins. How nice. Then we hit, I know it's not the second half, but in my mind, I think this is the second half of the basketball season. The time when you can like turn a game on and actually be interested because they're starting to matter a little bit more now. The Lakers haven't won back-to-back games uh, since, since the war, it seems like. But there's drama. Of course. They're done. Here's where they're we done. stand with the they're most done. recent what LeBron has said to the media. We had... Basically, to summarize, is basketball the only thing on your mind? How come you guys aren't ready to play? We need more motivation. We need more passion. What are you thinking about? It's go-to time. LeBron declared he was putting himself into playoff mode already. Very interesting statement for one about is basketball the only thing on your mind when you could argue one of the reasons he came to L.A. was to establish and continue his film and directing career, star in Space Jam 2 in a couple years. The world is his oyster in Los Angeles now off the court. So that statement was a little, you know, maybe take a look in the mirror, LeBron. But as it stands now, I think the Lakers are 10th in the Western Conference. So if we played the game, they wouldn't make the playoffs. They lose to 
a team that isn't really trying last night. It's it's been ugly, and they've had Lonzo Ball not being in. I don't think helps. I don't think moving around the team the couple times that they did throughout the season, as LeBron teams do, he gets pissy with what he has. He needs new toys. Today, tonight, this week, they're done. Might not be too far off, Al. They're done. They're done. I have been a Laker fan for over 50 years. I didn't want him. I told you I didn't want him. This is why I didn't want him. He and Clutch Sports have wreaked havoc with the way they handled the Anthony Davis situation. His dope of an agent, who's a complete buffoon, has basically cost the New Orleans general manager his job. He's going to cost Luke Walton his job, who's a good young coach, and he's going to wind up right back in Golden State for a year or two until he gets another head coaching job. Or who knows? Maybe he'll wind up head coach Golden State. Steve Kerr will will move on because of his back. Who knows? But the the point is, um, they have havoc with the Pelicans. They have wreaked havoc. I slash our franchise all because, uh, you know, the chosen one wants sooner than later the process to hasten. The process that he said knew would take time. The process that he knew he was in for the long haul, the end of his career, four-year deal, no opt-out that he came to build, now want to rip, wants to rip the entire squad, the guts of it, that they put together over time, these last three, four years, in drafting these good young players, one of which I think has a chance to be great, uh, others of which have a chance to be very, very good. He wants to rip them all apart uh, for a, a terrific player who is hurt, who has never won anything, has been to one playoff series, and it wants to go to L.A. and coincidentally has the same agent. So they've, they've ripped the heart out of two teams, and I'm pissed because one of them is mine. And the commission did nothing about it, a measly $50,000 fine to the player uh, when the agent should have been fined heavily. The player should have been fined heavily since what they did broke the rules. And my franchise is a train wreck. Uh, one night they play terrific. The other night they play awful. There's no sense of consistency. Uh, their defense cannot stop a strong wind. Uh, they made it. Why they traded Zubak is just, I'm lost there uh, to bring in, you know, the three-point shooter uh, from Philly via the Clippers uh, for the last month of the season who hasn't even played. He's hurt. And, you know, meanwhile, I think Subak has a terrific future. He's only 20 years old uh, and it's very difficult to stop in the low post. And I thought that was a moronic trade. They brought in Bullock, who's had a couple of good games. But I just think it has been completely mishandled in every way, shape or form uh, by LeBron, by his agent. And quite frankly, to some degree, by Magic Johnson and Rob Blanco. I would have not traded Zubak. No shot. Uh, they got nothing in return. And they're on the outside looking in. Nothing seems to be improving. 
They are on a roller coaster. And I don't see them winning enough games with the difficulty of their schedule in the West, which is loaded, that they're going to make the climb. I just don't see it happening. Right. Uh, the other, the teams ahead of them aren't playing great. So there is room, but I do not see it. I, I don't see them playing. They played their best basketball already. Their best basketball ended on Christmas Day. They haven't been the same since. And shortly thereafter, when Lonzo went down, against the Rockets and they blew that big lead and lost in overtime. They have not been the same since. I don't have the time to rant, but I don't need to. I don't think they'll figure it out in enough time. I think there's a lot that needs to be figured out. I think it could happen. I think there's a chance to get hot, but I don't think they're going to have enough time to do it. And I don't think they're going to get in because of it. I, I think time's run out for the run at the end of the season to figure it all out. Unless LeBron has one of those, well, LeBron's, LeBron's not the LeBron's not the same player. He's not. LeBron's not the same player. So I agree. I mean, you can talk all you can talk all you want about the triple doubles, and you just look at the box score. He plays no defense. No, and he doesn't. He doesn't guard anybody. Comically, so no defense. He doesn't guard anybody. He doesn't run the court. He, he doesn't go to the other end of the court and play defense half the time. Al's, not the same player. Al's always a pleasure. We'll have more Lakers talk, more football talk. The wagons are always circling on New Report. Old Report, we'll do it again next week. And, folks, Bryce Harper is, in fact, coming wherever you are. I guarantee you, listening in, in, in the Continental 48, Bryce Harper is coming to your city. I don't know which one it is, but he's coming to your city. Oh, for John Tiny Lund. I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Have a great week, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>